Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. Today, Pastor Carla Porter talks to us about our reasonable service. Me and Pastor Murray go way back. Uh, we only actually shared a dorm room twice when we were at NC State, but we go all the way back to the 70s and our college days at NC State. So, Pastor Murray. And back in those days, I'm confident that nobody that knew us would ever think that we would be pastors <laughs> at any point. Um, what a wonderful, I'm executive pastor at Agape Faith Church in Clemens. I just want to say that driving a few hours um, east and coming here to experience the presence of God, just like we did, is just really, really a blessing to me. It really is wonderful. It is just proof that people can come together of one accord, maybe different backgrounds, different you know, cultures, different things uh, in their lives, but they come together uh, for that purpose to worship uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So today, um, and I've got one more thing I want to mention, uh, uh, because I've known Scott and I've known Trish for uh, a long time. And they are really, I hope, I was just wondering this morning, I wonder if everybody at Faith Life Fellowship understands and recognizes um, what they have in their leadership here at the church, what they truly have, because they are gems. I can tell you that they are really good at what they do, but more importantly, they really are good at who they are. They really are good at who they are. And I think there's a Latin phrase that says, esse quam videri. And that means to be rather than to seem. And I really believe that that is just a, uh, an example, living example and testament of really who Jesus Christ is uh, yesterday, today, and forevermore. He is. He is. And he um, he is uh, Lord and Savior, and so anyway, just really appreciate uh, uh, the leadership here. Um, you're going to hear a really inspirational message from Pastor Carla Porter. I've known uh, Pastor Carla from, uh, I think, 2007. Uh, I have been to a lot of places in um, Africa. I've been to uh, several orphanages in Africa, and I can tell you that there is a premier extraordinary uh, orphanage and home for um, um, African orphans and at-risk children uh, in Kenya, at, in Nairobi, and that is associated with Pastor Carla Porter. Uh, it is just really amazing how the kids, if you go to different orphanages around the continent, the kids, what you see is the proof. The proof is in the pudding. And what you see in the children, how well-mannered they are, how disciplined they are, how respectful they are, how they are smart, how they've learned English, how they have really excelled. I mean, over the years where I came to know these kids back in 2007, some of these kids are going off into college. Some of them are here in the United States. That's a that's a changed life. It's a changed life. And really to experience this, uh, you almost have to go to Africa. You almost have to go to um, Nairobi 
and to Carla Porter's place there in, in Nairobi and actually meet the children, just see how it operates. And it is a wonderful experience. And our church is going to be going this um, in, this August. We're going to be there from August the 1st through the 15th. The total price is $4,200. There is a, I think it's a $250 deposit that's due at the end of this month. Um, what you get for $4,200 is the airfare. Now, that's the, obviously the, the passport and any spending money would be on top of that. But um, it is an exceptional experience. You go, uh, you meet the children, you go to our home, you see the Heritage Leadership Academy that she's going to be talking to you about. Uh, you meet wonderful people. I mean, just exceptional, wonderful people at her church. Uh, there's a leadership conference that's scheduled for that week, and there's a safari included at the end. Uh, so it is just a wonderful trip. I, I sent Pastor uh, Scott an email this morning that had an application, had a lot of details, and I'm sure that he will find a way to get that to you, maybe load it on the website or, or email it to uh, to everybody. But it is really exceptional, and I really, really highly recommend uh, if you have a heart for orphans, if you have a heart for uh, kids that uh, just by birth, don't really have any future at all. I love what Pastor Carla says. Let's do more than just keep them alive. Let's give them a life. And that's what we've, That's what she does. So this is good ground. Everything you're going to hear today is superior good ground. Thank you. Now we're going to do the charge in Pastor Carla, Pastor Murray. This is going to sound very familiar because I asked you if we could borrow portions of yours, and we borrowed large portions of yours, and we say it every Sunday here. And I get out here in the crowd so we can pick it up on the podcast uh, other than just my voice. So everybody say it with me. We are a church growing and thriving, overflowing with love, strengthening the family, transforming the community, impacting the world where every member is a minister and a church alive is worth the drive. Let me hear you. Woo! Hallelujah. It is my pleasure to introduce Pastor Carla Porter of Living Faith International. That's her with her peeps. I know she's going to be talking about those people because this slide will occur later on in the slideshow. And next is their logo and livingfaithinternational.com. I encourage you to go there. I did. Check it out. It's an awesome ministry. Um, just scratching the surface of what they do, and I'm hopeful that she'll give us a little bit more information about that this morning. So, Pastor Carla, would you come? Give her a Faith Life Fellowship. Welcome. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Let me get situated here. All right. Good morning, everyone. God bless you this morning for coming out and being a part of this lovely worship. That was just lovely worship. It's been such an honor for me to get to know your pastors and to get to know you as a church congregation. Faith Life Fellowship has a future. As I was standing there, Pastor Murray, I'm going to ask you to please come up here and Trish and Pastor Scott, 
just an impression came up in my heart to pray for Wilmington and to pray for a Pastor Maury, for us to touch and agree and lay hands upon Pastor Scott and Trish and to believe with this fellowship for Wilmington and the surrounding area for a move of God. And Pastor Murray, if you would lay hands upon them, church, if you would stretch your hands out toward the pastors, let's agree together. There's power in agreement. And Father, we express today what I know to be the will of heaven. And today we in Faith Life Fellowship agree with heaven and ask you to pour out your spirit upon Wilmington and the surrounding area, that there would come a move of God that will change everything about this city. It will change the leadership of this city. It will change the school system of this city. It will change the government. It will change the way people think. It will change the way people live. We are asking for a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit such as never been seen in this area before. And Father, we decree over Wilmington that there will be a hunger for the Word of God that has never been seen here before. And there will come a preaching and a teaching of the Word of God. And people will stream to this church and other churches to hear the Word of God preached and taught and lifted up in the city and the surrounding areas of Wilmington. Father, may there may this be accompanied by signs and wonders performed by the mighty power of the Holy Spirit so that people's lives are impacted, they are changed, they are transformed in the name of Jesus. And Father, we ask for the strategies of heaven to be revealed, for this to be accomplished. Reveal strategy from heaven to Pastor Scott and Trish and other pastors in this area. May there be a great unity among the pastors, a great coming together among the pastors with walls and denominational barriers coming down in the name of Jesus Christ. And, and Father, may they come together and lift up as one their voices to heaven for this area to come under the lordship of Jesus and father we decree this this is our desire we know this is the will of heaven and today we begin by saying Jesus is Lord 
over Wilmington. Jesus is Lord in the surrounding areas surrounding Wilmington and that this will become a hub and a center of the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and doors will be open. Even the doors of schools will be open. And the pastors will be invited into the schools to teach the word of God. And the high schools shall be evangelized. And the primary schools shall be evangelized. And higher learning institutions shall be evangelized in the name of Jesus. Father, for your glory, we claim Wilmington for Christ for your glory, we claim these surrounding areas for the name of Jesus shall be spoken of, sung about, proclaimed, and exalted throughout this area. We thank you for it, Father. We praise you for it. And Father, we ask you for the anointing of increase to be upon Pastor Scott and Trish and upon this ministry and its outreaches and anointing of increase in the name of Jesus Christ. This is our heart, Father. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Church, can you thank God that because we've asked, we know he's heard our prayers, he's heard our petitions, and he's already moving to, he watches over his word to perform it. And Pastor Scott, as you were telling the church you're believing for $3,700 in this particular phase of construction, everything you named, we have need of in Nairobi, in the building projects that I'm involved in. So, Pastor Murray, if you would tell Monica, please, I want to sell $1,000 from Living Faith International into your building project, and I believe I receive a hundredfold return in the name of Jesus. For what I have need of. Yes, Pastor. Can I just say sure. Okay, well, while you were just saying that, it just really, really struck me that we need to go ahead and just uh, finish out $3,700. Right? I mean, we just need to go ahead and finish it out. And so Agape Faith Church is going to take up the balance. And so there you are, Pastor Scott, everybody that calls... Faith Life Fellowship Home. We're going to get this going here. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Well, that's already a move of God. Can you thank God for it? Hallelujah. Pastor Scott, what a blessing to see that phase of your construction need met. And you can move on to which phase? Phase three. We've just crossed the threshold into phase three. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. What a blessing. 
What a blessing. I have so much compassion for pastors who are in a building program because I've been in one for a long time. And, you know, we you make progress. And I'll tell you, construction doesn't just... The Lord told me something about a building program. He told me to teach my congregation that the main part in his perspective in God's perspective of a building program is what he's able to construct and build on the inside of his people. To him, when we're in a building program, the main part is about what happens in the hearts of his people as they give, as they purpose, as they sacrifice, as they believe. It's what the Lord builds inside you that is more significant even than anything material that we construct. Church, it's so good to be with you again this morning. And I have quite a bit to share with you. It's already 15 to 12, so gird up the loins of your mind. And uh, we're going to receive the word. And do you know one thing about receiving the word? You always have to have this in your heart. When you hear the word of God is God always works on your vision. When the word is spoken to you, I guarantee you this. God wants to work on your vision. He never just speaks the word for no purpose, but he's always endeavoring to impart heavenly vision to his people. Proverbs 29 and verse 18 is to me such an instructive, revelatory scripture. And in the Amplified Bible, it says where there is no vision, no redemptive revelation of God, the people perish. Church, that is very significant because every single believer should have heavenly vision. And what is heavenly vision? It is understanding your part in God's redemptive plans and purposes for the generation in which we're living, and it will carry over and be transferred to future generations. In other words, God has a redemptive plan for this generation, redemptive vision. Every single believer has a part to fulfill in God's redemptive plan for this generation. How significant that is. How precious it is when God works on your heavenly vision. You should have a heavenly vision because you have a part in God's redemptive purposes for this generation. A believer should never have this question, why am I here? What's the meaning of life? I I think those are the silliest questions in the world to ask after you're a believer. Now, I had questions like that when I was an unbeliever. I was 29 years old before I came to the Lord, and I was wondering, what is all this about anyway? 
But after you come to the Lord, there needs to be the understanding. God has a very significant purpose for my life. I am part of God's heavenly vision and purpose for this generation. A vision. God's an architect. And so he's got a plan. He's very strategic. And a vision, whether it's to an individual or corporate, a church, or a town, or an area, or even a nation, takes three things to fulfill, and these are inward works in the people of God. It takes passion to fulfill a vision. It takes zeal to fulfill a vision. That is fire in your belly. It's part of heavenly fire that is imparted through the Holy Spirit. It takes passion. It takes zeal. And church, it takes commitment to fulfill a heavenly vision. A lot of people don't understand that the word commitment is not just saying, all right, I'll, I'll agree to do something. It's, it, there are no halfway measures in commitment. But commitment requires sacrifice. And so many people, uh, I've noticed, uh, people don't know how to make commitments anymore. I know that's not true in this house. I'm talking about other people. But other people don't know how to make commitments because, of course, it's going to require your time. It's going to require your strength. It is going to require your resources. So passion, zeal, and commitment are required for heavenly vision to be fulfilled. And I find that so many people, even though they're in the body of Christ, really have no concept of heavenly vision for their life. And let me tell you, the will of God is never accidentally fulfilled. The will of God never just sort of, we just never stumble into sort of, you know, fulfilling the will of God. If the will of God is done, it's because the people of God have purposed. You purpose to live your life to fulfill the heavenly vision that God reveals to you. So I want to share with you that, uh, there, there is a major purpose, and once purpose begins to be fulfill, uh, granted to you, once you begin to seek purpose and you begin to seek heavenly vision, God begins to give direction. In other words, instruction and direction begin to be placed in front of you. I, one time as my husband and I, my late husband, and I began working with orphan and vulnerable children, and I saw how utterly incapable we were of doing much of anything that would possibly make a dent in, in their lives. It was like, I, I've said this a number of times, it was like looking in a big black hole with no bottom to that hole, it was like a bottomless pit, and it wouldn't have mattered how much time, 
how much effort, or if I'd had millions of dollars in in an effort to work with HIV orphans and vulnerable children. I could not conceive that we would make any difference to anyone at all. That's how big the need looked to me. And so I asked the Lord this question, well, Lord, because we could sense that he was leading us to become involved in working with orphans and vulnerable children. So my question was, Lord, how will Wade and I know what to do with this seemingly overwhelming situation? And you know, the Lord is simple. I know he's the most high, but he's actually, when he speaks, everything just becomes simple. He said, in response to my question, how will Wade and I know what to do to help these orphan and vulnerable children? How will we know who to help and what to do? He said, pay attention to what I put in front of you. Church, I want to tell you always when seeking the will of God and seeking to fulfill the will of God, pay attention to what God puts in front of you. So God has a plan for each one of us to fulfill. And as we seek the will of God to fulfill his plan, church, we have to pay attention to what he puts in front of us. And I do believe it's no accident that I'm here today. And it's no accident that I have the opportunity to share with you that God has a plan for us to fulfill for his glory. It is for his glory that we commit to do whatever it is that God asks us to do It's because we desire to fulfill his glory. Ephesians 2 and verse 10 in the Passion Translation. Uh, I've I've become quite a fan of the Passion Translation because I've felt it working and reigniting higher levels of passion in my life. And I love the way this puts Ephesians 2.10. We have become his poetry a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny. See, that's heavenly vision. Heavenly vision imparts destiny. God has planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. In other words, we need to have the understanding as the body of Christ that we don't just pray for heavenly vision, for heavenly destiny to be revealed to us, but we have the understanding that if we're going to fulfill heavenly vision, then we fulfill it by recognizing and entering in to the good works that he's ordained for us to do from the foundation of the earth. I like the message translation. It says he creates each of us 
by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. Isn't that good? Work we had better be doing. Why does the word, is the word translated that way? Because many Christians are born again, but they're not living their lives in accordance with heavenly vision. And they do not recognize that heavenly vision is fulfilled by the good works that we enter into. Fulfilling heavenly vision is not mysterious. But we understand that God will place before us good works that he intends for us to do. Psalm 40 and verse 8 in the Passion Translation reveals the heart with which we enter into good works and receive reward. We receive reward here on earth and we receive reward that is laid up for us. In eternity. Psalm 40, verse 8 says, I delight to do your will, oh, to fulfill your will, my God, for your living words are written upon the pages of my heart. Now, I don't know about you, I may be the only one here that God's ever had to work on my willingness, but there have been plenty of times that he would impress me or even instruct me to do something I did not really want to do. Why? Because it was going to require a new level of commitment, a new level of sacrifice. It was going to mean changing my life. It was going to mean, see, I've been in Kenya almost 32 years in June. It will be 32 years I've lived in Kenya. And believe me, I don't live a life like hardly any other American I know. You understand? And so when God would give me an instruction, it would be like, Lord, do you really want more? But yes, he does. And he does not want me to look at it as though I'm making a great sacrifice for him. This is only my reasonable service. It's just my reasonable service to give him a heart that is willing to commit and surrender and be passionate about his works. This is mere reasonable service. The easy-to-read version says, My God, I am happy to do whatever you want. I never stop thinking about your teachings. I know there have been times that when God would show me something and my heart was resisting, I mean, I could tell I did not want to do this. This, this was going to be costly for me to enter into it. And, uh, but I've learned, and I'll give you this prayer about willingness and about allowing the Lord to have his way in your heart is I've learned to pray in the face of my resistance, my own resistance. I've learned to pray, Lord, 
I'm willing to be made willing. You know, that's at least beginning to bow the knee. Lord, I'm willing to be made willing. Because, do you know, it takes the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts to bring us into full surrender. And so I, I want to share a part of heavenly vision that the Lord caused me to, so, to know so many in the body of Christ do not have this in this element in their heavenly vision. It's not that they're not born again and love God. I'm not saying this. In fact, in preparing to come to the U.S. Uh, in December is when the Lord made this clear to me. And we've been working with orphans and vulnerable children for a number of years. But now remember over here in Psalm uh, 40 and verse 8, it said, uh, my God, I'm happy to do whatever you want. I never stop thinking about your teachings. So much of the will of God will come of heavenly vision for your life will come to you through the word of God. Now, I know you don't find in the Bible who you're to marry. And, you know, you didn't find Faith Life Fellowship in Scripture where it told you, go to Faith Life Fellowship. There, you have to also be led by the Holy Spirit to have uh, the will of God revealed to you. But much of God's will for our lives is found in the Scripture. James 1.27 is a very key scripture for Christians, yet so many are, they're aware of it, but they've not really surrendered to it. And James 1.27 in the Amplified Bible says, pure and unblemished religion as it is expressed in outward acts. What are these outward acts? They're the good works that we read about in Ephesians 2.10. Pure and unblemished religion as it is expressed in outward acts in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit and look after the fatherless and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself uncontaminated by the secular world. In other words, the, in one scripture, God tells us the essence. He says, this is pure religion. This is true Christianity. People may have many ideas about it, and there are uh, definitely other facets of our faith. But he says, when you come to the heart of the matter, pure, true religion that is uncontaminated before God our Father. He calls us to visit. Do you know that word visit doesn't mean to stop by for a cup of coffee and a piece of cake? That's kind of a superficial understanding of the word visit. But the word visit in the original language means to set a table before them. 
So when we visit orphans and widows, these will always be the most vulnerable people in every nation. The most vulnerable people in America are orphans and widows. The most vulnerable people in Kenya and all the nations of the world are orphans and widows. And why? Well, for one thing, there's no father in their life. And a father covers and protects and provides. There's no mother to nurture and and take care of daily necessities. And so that's one reason. There are other reasons as well. But we're told in Scripture, and this Scripture is not just for missionaries. I didn't get any amens on that. But this Scripture is for every believer to take to heart and understand that part of our mission, part of our heavenly vision as believers in our generation is to set a table before orphans and vulnerable children and before widows in their distress, in their need. We are, just like the scripture promises, I will set a table before you in the presence of your enemies. God has instructed the body of Christ to set a table before orphans and vulnerable children in the midst of their enemies. And church, you can believe me, orphans have a multitude of enemies. I'm going to talk to you about that in just a moment. Hosea 14 and verse 3 says, this is the Amplified Bible, For in you, O Lord, the orphan finds love and compassion and mercy. I'm not going to be able to go to all the scriptures. I was going to talk to you uh, quite a bit about darkness, but Let me just stop right here and say that the world of darkness has its eye on orphans. The world of darkness preys upon orphans in every nation. And that word is spelled P-R-E-Y-S. In other words, they look for orphans who have no one to protect them. The world of darkness, the world of wickedness, the world of sex trafficking, the world of criminals, the world of drug trafficking, all kinds of criminal syndicates. Hey, they need people. Yeah, some of them uh, uh, enter that world willingly, but they look for orphans because they have no one to protect them from the schemes of wickedness and the schemes of criminal enterprises. They're vulnerable. These children are hungry. These children uh, need clothing. These children need shelter. They, They have no defense against the world of darkness. 
And so criminal elements look for these children. They recruit these children. They give them food. They'll give them some clothing. And then they begin to involve them in schemes of wickedness that that criminal enterprise is involved in. And all the potential, all the promise of these children is lost to us when God created them with every bit as much potential and promise as he created you and he created me. Now, I want you to imagine your own children if they were in such a situation, the horror that you would feel when your own small children would have no idea where the next meal was coming from. They would have no idea where they were going to spend the night. They would have no idea uh, of an education, but, but they're going to be sucked into the world of darkness and all their wonderful life, their potential, all their promise destroyed by the works of the enemy. I'm telling you, the enemy has a strategy to capture orphaned and vulnerable children. And it's designed, of course, to take them into the world of darkness. But Hosea 14.3 says, For in you, O Lord, the orphan finds love and compassion and mercy. I want to tell you, there is no place else that the orphan will find love and compassion and mercy. The orphan will not find love and compassion and mercy in the world. No place else but in God will the orphan find love and compassion and mercy. And God has told his people, you Look after these children because it is not his will for them to be captured in the world of darkness and lose their lives in criminal enterprise and all the potential that God has put in them. Psalm 82 and verses 3 through 4 in the New King James says, now this is our instruction. I hope you're receiving heavenly vision and heavenly understanding because this is our instruction from the Lord. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. So, church, this is our, these are our marching orders from the Lord. We are not to sit back and do nothing, but God has called us. He calls every generation. He says, I'm a father to the fatherless. How does he become a father to the fatherless? It's when his people 
the body of Christ. We're his hands. We're his feet. We're the ones called alongside him to do these good works. And we step forward in the name of Jesus. And we begin to look for these children and enter into the harvest field of orphans and vulnerable children. And we begin to tell them the Father in heaven knows you. And he loves you. And you would say something like we say when we take an orphan child into our orphanage. We gather these damaged children who have been through horrific things. We just gather them in our arms and tell them, God loves you. We love you. You're safe now. We're going to take care of you. You don't need to fear any more and thus begins the healing process for these children that the world of darkness has uh, grappled and fought us for this is a great harvest field that has much need for the body of Christ to enter into do justice defend the poor poor and fatherless deliver the poor and needy we're not to sit back and do nothing no we're to rise up in the name of jesus and go forth and deliver them from the hand of the wicked there are many verses throughout the bible that talk about god's love his compassion for the widow the orphan the vulnerable child. He loves these children. He knows they're hurting. He hears their cries and he's calling upon and instructing the body of Christ to enter in to the harvest fields and join him in this work. I'll tell you, you nothing equals the anointing. It is the anointing that destroys the yokes of bondage that the world of darkness enslaves these children in as much as you and I were also enslaved in in darkness before we knew Christ. We didn't know any better. We didn't know that it was any different. It took the anointing to break the yoke. God has his part that we cannot do. But there is a part that he calls the body of Christ to do. And that's our part. Set a table before them in the presence of their enemies and make a public display of the goodness of God and the love of God, the care, the kindness that God once extended to these children. Make a public display of the love of God for orphans and vulnerable children. Just like you love your children and you would do anything for your children, how much more does the Father love all children? Remember, he's no respecter of persons. These children are a precious treasure in his sight. And he expects us and he calls us in our generation to redeem them 
out of the hand of the enemy, out of the grip of darkness, and to introduce them to the love of God and the power of the kingdom of God. Every year, I go to UNICEF's website, have a lot of issues with the UN, but one thing they do well is do statistics. So I go to UNICEF's website and look up how many orphans they say are in the world. Now, this does not count vulnerable children. And vulnerable children, the UN has started calling a one-parent child in a poverty-stricken third-world nation a single orphan. If both parents are dead, they call that one a double orphan. But a vulnerable child might have a parent living, but that parent is sick. Or they might have a one parent living, but that parent is in dire poverty and can do nothing for that child, is barely keeping that child alive. So I went to UNICEF's website in December of 2018 and looked up their latest statistic on the number of orphans there are in the world. And church, it is 153 million. 153 million orphans in the world today. But it's 153 million plus because UNICEF says we really have no way to accurately estimate the number of orphans there are in the world because of the millions of orphan children that live in the largest cities of the world. It's beyond our capability to know exactly. So let's put it this way. 153 million plus orphans in the world today. So I've looked it up before, and one year it was 143 million, another year 148 million but in 2018, they said it was 153 million. Now, stop and think about this. That's half the population of America. And Kenya, for example, where I live, has a population of 40 million. So if you look at 153 million children, church, that would be the population, 153 million, is the population of several nations. Are you with me? Several nations. Then I had a thought I've never had before. Pastor, this is one of the greatest revelations I've ever received. I had this thought. It's amazing. The war Lord works in simple ways to bring profound understanding. This has profoundly affected me. Then I had this thought. How many Christians are there in the world today? I had no idea. But I've learned to Google, so I Googled it. <laughs> and when I Googled how many Christians there are in the world today, church, it is 2.4 billion. Do you know what the Lord said to me? So as far as I'm concerned, this is not even an issue. Let that sink in. 
So as far as I'm concerned, this is not even an issue. Why? Because he's instructed his body in James 1.27 to look after them. So in his sight, this is not that great black hole. See, that was a human perspective. This is not a great black hole where you have tens of millions of children hurt, wounded, often rejected by their communities. Church, I'm going to tell you in other nations, orphans are considered throwaway children. They're even despised in many nations. As far as I know, orphans are not considered to be of any significance. They're just a problem. I know in Kenya, when my husband discovered uh, orphans, he, he, he had been on a missions trip, had gone into Uganda and Rwanda, and he had stopped in a place called Budalongi, Kenya, had been told that there was a serious orphan problem there and he said well have some of the children there I I want to see them I want to see what the issue is this was back in 2001 and so he he had rented a large bus and taken a number of members of our church and they had gone on a missions trip with many stops but he came to Budalong and he thought he was seeing a plowed field and that someone had prepared that field to plant crops. So when the bus stopped and he asked to see the children, he was told, well, pastor, they're right there. And this lady called them forth, and he literally saw what he thought was a plowed field. He saw orphaned children rise up out of the dust, naked Some of them had very tattered clothes on. Of course, they were filthy. They they were in terrible condition, full of disease, very hungry. And that was our introduction. He came back and told me about it, and our hearts were touched. We had no budget, no means. Pastor, do you know what that means? When you see a work, something you want to do, no budget to do it, no means to do it, but we made up our mind that we were going to start sending money for these children to be paid um, to to eat one meal a day. It was a small meal once a day, and that was the beginning of our journey in working with orphans and vulnerable children. We we were not equipped to work with them either spiritually or financially, but we began doing something small. It's amazing how God works with something small when you give it from your heart. And then a few months later, we gathered $5,000 and brought med- bought medicine, and we took some doctors and nurses from our church in Nairobi, and we held a medical missions clinic, and uh, I saw... These people had never seen a doctor. They'd never had medicine. I saw human suffering that 
period when we did that medical missions clinic. I saw humans suffering on a level that it was so painful. It was so painful to see people suffering and in the condition they were in. And then, you know, the Lord just keeps working on your heart. Within uh, a few more months, now we were sending money for more food. And then we thought, well, we need to educate these children. We built a small school. And in 2004, we took Christmas to them. And soccer's big in Africa, so we took soccer balls, and the kids were out uh, playing soccer. And I was kind of walking by myself, just looking and praying quietly. And suddenly there was a shriek of laughter, which I'd never heard the kids laugh before. You know, they didn't have anything to laugh about. And the Lord took that shriek of laughter, and he somehow anointed it. And it just slammed into my ear. It pierced my ear and it pierced my heart. And he said, don't just keep them alive. Give them a life. And there was a bit of a rebuke in it to me. It was maybe not a rebuke, but it was said with such authority and strength. And I've come to realize, do you know, you can help someone and still stand aside from them. You can give something to someone and you, you don't really enter in to the condition that they're experiencing. And here's what one of the issues was. Do you know how it's painful to look on other people's suffering? You may look and then you, you pull back. But see, God has called us, our generation, the body of Christ, to be fathers and mothers to the orphan and vulnerable children. But you can't be a father and a mother and just give a little and then pull back because it hurts to see kids in that condition. After he did, after he spoke that, he did such a work in my life and in Wade's life as well of being willing to love these kids. From that time, Pastor, we did not look at them as these poor orphan children that we were quote unquote helping, but we took them as our children. We received them as sons and daughters. And we've done for them what any parent would do for their children. I've got some now that were there, they're from Budalongi, that have graduated from university today. And they've, they've entered into various professions. I've got children in university. I've got children in high school. We continue to take in orphans. I've got children in primary school. And I've got some little bitty ones running around the orphanage. You know, the little ones bring so much joy with their laughter and their quick response to the love of God. But see, it was not possible for me to just stand aside and give a little 
I had to be willing to let the Lord change my heart and bring me into that position of mothering and Wade fathering. And that's the heart that God wants the whole body of Christ. See, they don't have a mother and father if they're going to ever experience mothers and fathers in in their lifetime it will be because the body of christ expresses fatherly love to them and the body of christ expresses motherly love to them church may i hear an amen so god has called us 2.4 billion christians to care for, father, mother, raise in the light so they won't lose their destiny in the world of darkness. He's called us to a significant calling to orphans and vulnerable children. But it's just this job is not being done because most of the body of Christ does not understand this. And they don't enter in to the work. Let me share with you a few pictures of the work that I do in Nairobi, Kenya. This is a school. I have an orphanage, but I'm building a school because we have a very chaotic education system, a very corrupt education system. And... uh, Half our teachers last year didn't pass their examination to become teachers. And, and it's, it's, it's got lots of problems. But I used to be a teacher, and educating these children is part of what any mother and father would do. And so I'm building a school. This is an artist's rendering. This is not complete yet. I'm still on the ground floor, but I have four classrooms built and operational. And we st- we're continuing. I'm not building, no, I'm not against gum poles and thatch roof, but that just doesn't last long. I'm not against that. It has a place in African society, but I'm endeavoring to l- build something enduring that will be a monument to God's love for these children. Go forward. So here we are constructing the school. Now we form with man-made blocks. And so the our construction method is totally different. We have man-eating termites in Kenya. Okay, they don't eat people, but they do eat wood. And so we build very differently but this is stone construction and lots of rebar it's enduring go forward another picture just showing you pictures of go forward progression of the school this is phase one i'm not through with phase one yet i lack one hundred thousand dollars to finish phase one go forward these are some of the children during that construction. I actually began Heritage Leadership Academy in 2016 in the garage of our orphanage. And so these children, these these are orphans in my home, our home, that I started the school with 
and they're real excited about the school being built. So this is about two years old. Go forward. Now to increase my outreach to orphans. You know, you have to be strategic when you go into a stronghold and you're taking kids out of the hand of the enemy and planting them in the kingdom of God. You have to be strategic. So my plan was to go into a nearby slum and bus orphans being raised by their desperately poor, often widowed grandmothers. This is a real issue in Africa of grandmothers raising their grandchildren because the parents are dead of HIV AIDS. It's a very big issue. And so this is a day when we're vetting who are true orphans. And so with some of their grandmothers, and you can be a grandmother in Africa Sometimes the girls start having their children at 13 or 14. So, you know, by the time you're 35 or 40, you're a grandmother. Go forward. Here here they are uh, that day. Uh, one person in describing them said, Pastor, it's like they're blank. I mean, they didn't, they didn't know how to hug. They didn't know how to respond. They've not been nurtured. I mean, a grandmother raising a grandchild is not ideal. Go forward. Here they are. The first day of school, we leased two buses and sent them to the slum. And here they are being put on the bus. Go forward. They're arriving at school. Go forward. And this is inside our church. And the children, the staff is fitting the children with their uniform. Now, Kenya was a British colony, so we're more British than the British. <laughs> I mean, you know, we have tea at 10 and 4, and <laughs> I think we're more British than the Queen now. But anyway, a, a school child has a uniform. There is no such thing as wearing your own Clothes to school in Kenya, but a school, uh, but a uniform is a status symbol. It says someone cares enough about me to put me in school, so it's a status symbol. Go forward. So here, now you saw that picture of those kids three slides ago, three or four slides ago, standing there looking blank. Now these are those same kids. First day of school in their new uniforms, with their teachers. Go forward. Here they're being taught what their ears are for. They're for listening, <laughs> paying attention. Go forward. And, of course, we, I'm going to do everything but house these children. They're, going, they're living with their grandmothers, but we've instituted a nutrition program. We take care of their medical needs. Of course, we're educating them, and we're raising them with the grandmothers. My underlying motive is always salvation, individual salvation and salvation of families. And so, but we're befriending the grandmothers and have great 
plans for these children. These children will, number one, this is my purpose of the school, is that they may know God. Number two, that they may develop a Christian, godly character. And number three, that they may get a good education and be contributing members of their society. We tell these kids, you're not a victim. You're not a victim. You're a child of God. You're not a victim. Go forward. Here they are at recess. Go back, please. Go back one. Now, that's one of the finished classrooms. And everything is imported. Everything but the kids are imported. Uh, the furniture we imported from Egypt. And the curriculum that we're using, we imported from Malaysia. So I, I'm telling you, this is not a fly-by-night school. I'm building a legacy of the love of God for these children. Go forward. Here they are, recess. You know, I can still look at them and see they've been uh, born in a slum. I can see that on them. But do you know, by this time next year, that won't even be visible. You're going to look at those kids. They're not going to look any different than the other kids. What is that? The anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage. Go forward. Isn't, she, isn't that precious? That little girl is in heaven. Hallelujah. Go forward. Here they are. The man kneeling there is our praise and worship leader, and he knows so many instruments in our church in Nairobi, and he is giving the children music lessons. We're starting them out with music lessons because I want to raise praise and worshipers. Hallelujah. Go forward. And here, this is one of our new teachers, and she's teaching them fine, working with fine motor skills with part of our curriculum. Go forward. And here they are sitting on the lawn of the school and learning vocabulary. Go forward. Now, when the bus pulls into the slum, the children aren't led to the bus. No, they run for the bus. In fact, the grandmothers say the kids don't want to leave school at when the day is finished, and they can't wait to get back to school the next day, don't you wish you had it so good that the kids don't even want to leave school? Go forward. Here they are, arriving in their uniforms for another day at school. And see, God has so done a work on the inside of me that when the government calls me and says, will you take one child or two child or uh, children? Or recent, Last year, we took four children from one family. I, I'm no longer moved by whatever condition they in. they're in. That used to really hurt me. It was a problem for me. It was a problem to look at them when they're dirty, wounded, have wounds all over their body. But that doesn't account for all the wounds that are in their soul. I, I just used to be so troubled by that. But you know, when I look at these kids now, all I see is potential. All I see is the promise that God put in them 
with the breath of life that he breathed into them. Go forward. This is one of the children that's in our orphanage, and she's also in the school. We got a call from the government that a mother had died of AIDS. No father was ever in the picture. And the mother's sister took this child. But the husband of the sister, as we say in Africa, chased his wife away, and he remains, the police told us, with this young child, and he's abusing her. Will you take her? And I said, yes. This is the day they brought this child, and I know you can't see the picture's too small, but she's got pus pockets all over her face, her hands, She had been beaten by this man. And so she is fearful. The police waited till he left. They broke the door down. They snatched Esther and brought her to us. So she doesn't know what is going on. But when our director leaned down and said, Gina Locke, what is your name? In this tiny little voice, she said, Queen Esther. So that's what we call her, Queen Esther. And I want you to look at Esther today. This is Esther today. Hallelujah. And she is such a wonderful student. She's very academically inclined and has so much promise. Go forward. On the left with those... Red circle is Vivian. Go forward again. Vivian and her brother Emmanuel in the front. Their mother, this is the slum we found them in. Pastor Murray, weren't you here? Pastor Murray came on a visit when we were working with these children in the Mavarui slum. And uh, their mother, Esther, uh, uh, Vivian and Emmanuel, was a major drug dealer. The chief came and told us, the area chief came and told us, the police are going to arrest the mother. She was a prostitute and a major drug dealer. And she was teaching Vivian to sell drugs. Vivian is seven there. Emmanuel is five. Teaching Vivian to sell drugs. And the police have told us she will never raise her children. She, she won't get out to raise her children. Will you take them? So I said yes, and he brought them. Vivian had a hard heart. She was unresponsive. I know she's smiling there. That was not common for Vivian. She had a hard heart. She wasn't overtly rebellious, but... J- have you ever known anybody quietly rebellious? They didn't don't make a lot of noise about their rebellion, but they just don't do what they have been told to do or instructed to do. And Vivian was quietly rebellious. But three years ago, this this was in 2012, but three years ago, Vivian repented of her sins and genuinely received Jesus as her Savior. I can always tell in the eyes when the Lord has had a breakthrough. 
in one of their lives. Go forward. This is uh, Vivian today holding one of our younger children. She is a model uh, young lady right now, and she is so motherly toward when we take new children in, Vivian helps us nurture them and mother them. Go forward. This is Eric. When we started working with the children in that tin building, Eric was about this tall, but he was 12 years old, about this tall. But he had been so abused, kicked from pillar to post, rejected by everybody, and malnourished. At one point, his uncle took him in, but the, his wife rejected Eric. She would sit her family at a table and feed them and make Eric sit on the floor and watch them eat and not give him a bite of food. She would take her shoe and beat him until she had no more strength to beat him anymore, and he's got scars on his body from the beatings that woman would give him. She would buy her children's shoes, but Eric walked barefooted in rags. She took her children to school, but not Eric. So I want you to look at Eric, this tall. I used to pray, Lord, may Eric be as tall as I am. If you would only let Eric grow to be as tall as I am. Of course, that's not saying much, church, because I'm I'm five two and a half. So, but if he, I, that was as far as my faith would go. If if Eric could just be as tall as I am, now go forward. This is Eric today. He's eighteen years old, and from the time we put Eric in school, he rose straight to the top of his class. We, under the British system, we take national examinations every year. Eric was always number one in his class. Now, I want to tell you what happened. A partner, I told one of my partners how smart Eric is. And so last year, in 2018, they said, Carla, if you will give Eric to us, we have a family it's a New York family. The Yankees got him, y'all. But anyway, <laughs> a New York, a precious Christian New York family put him in school. He was in the 11th grade in Kenya. We call it, uh, we don't, we call it Form 3, but that would translate to the 11th grade here. And he tested right at that. He's an advanced placement in all of his classes. And right now, and he's going to be fully scholarship to university. He's a great soccer player. And uh, anyway, Eric has such a bright future. Well, let me tell you what happened a month ago. This organization, Orphans Promise, had a big gala or gala fundraising gala in Palm Beach at Mar-a-Lago. And Eric was their primary speaker that night. Can you imagine God taking you from the slums of Nairobi to a platform 
in Palm Beach in six years. I got him at 12. He's 18 years old now. Church only, the anointing can do that. Only the work of God can do that. I, I wasn't able to go because I was visiting uh, churches. But that night I kept getting pictures and texts from different people at the event. And they just said, Eric stole the show. Everyone loved his testimony. Uh, and when, when he claimed, came off the platform, I was told people just surrounded him. He wants to be a lawyer or maybe a doctor because since he's gotten here, he's discovered he's great in chemistry and biology and all of that. He says, Mom, I don't, I don't know why, but I just know the answers. <laughs> well, I call that a gift from God. So people are encouraging him now to look at going into medicine. So, but anyway, at that night he said, I'm planning to be a lawyer. And after he spoke, people just surrounded him. And there were judges saying, when it's time for you to intern, you can intern with me. Can you imagine the work that God can do? The potential the promise that is in each one of these children. But it's going to take the body of Christ opening our hearts to them and beginning to mother and father them. Go forward. Let me just briefly tell you, and I'll finish. Last year in May, April of 2018, I got a call that a mother had died of HIV AIDS and left eight children. The husband was very ill with AIDS, unable to do anything to help the children. So the, he tried to commit suicide. The neighbors stopped him and called the police. The police took all eight children and scattered them in government orphanages. And y'all, not, not to be unkind, but orphanages in Kenya, government orphanages, are like dungeons. These precious children had been starved, beaten, and had endured so much. I don't know if you can see Dorcas at the top left, but hurry, this is the day we got them. The government brought four. They called and asked me to take four. Do you know the only way I can say yes to these children is when the body of Christ equips me to say yes. I want to say yes every time the government asked me to take a child. But this, we got them this day. They only came with the clothes on their back. They were clinging to each other uh, for fear of, of being separated. They were already separated from four other siblings. And so go forward. This is five-year-old Fiona. And I, I know you can't see how dirty she is and and very unhappy this day we got her. Go forward. This is little Sarah. I know you can't see her tears, but can you see her bottom lip is poked out? And she's surely not happy. Little Sarah is HIV positive. And the day after we got her, we took her to the doctor. We've got her on antiretrovirals. And we're believing 
that she will go from positive to negative in the name of Jesus. Now go forward. Two weeks later, these are these children. Go forward. Happy, dancing. They are the light of our lives. These are happy children. Their mother was a Christian. I asked the oldest one, Dorcas, Dorcas, tell me about your mother. Her name was Teresia. And she's, Dorcas said, Dorcas is 11. Oh, yes, mom always took us to church. And we would sing the same songs in the house that we learned at church and mother prayed with us. And these are the only children we've ever taken who knew anything about God. The only children in all these years who knew anything about God. Go forward. And this this was my Christmas card picture to all of my partners, just thanking them for an investment in the lives of orphan children and helping me mother them and we father them as well. You know, this problem, 153 million children, can look so huge that you may feel like I did at one time. What difference can I possibly make to 153-plus children? Well, I'm going to tell you the difference you can make is partner with someone like me. If not with me, someone like me that is working with orphans and vulnerable children. Someone who's in the field doing this work. I'm believing God because my outreach to orphans is enlarging. I'm believing God for hundreds of new partners at $25 a month. And, you know, just to be specific, I'm believing for 100 new partners this year at $50 a month. Hundreds at $25 a month. If I had hundreds of new partners at $25 a month, I'm telling you it would push us way down the road. If I had 100 new partners at $50 a month and 100 new partners at $100 a month, all of my expanding budget needs would be met. I'm just asking you to prayerfully consider that kind of investment into the lives of orphan children who have no mother. And Father, and I want to close with Proverbs 19:17. It says, "He I'm not yeah, I won't show all of those. I just don't have time. He that hath mercy on the poor, Proverbs 19:17, lends to the Lord, and he will repay them. I have heard people teach that he who gives to the poor, he who has mercy on the poor, the Lord will repay. I've heard this teaching more than once, that the poor are not good ground. So you don't expect increase when you give to the poor, but that the Lord repays you dollar for dollar. You're not going to lose anything giving to the poor, but they're not ground for increase. This is a teaching that is prevalent in the body of Christ. 
and that the Lord will see to it that you don't lose anything. He'll repay you dollar for dollar. In other words, if you give $25 to the poor, you've not lost $25. The Lord will repay you $25. And I would stop and say, Lord, that does not sound like your character. Did the laws of seed time and harvest of sowing and reaping, did you suspend them when you gave Paul James one twenty seven, and you said, if you don't do anything else, visit the widows and orphans? Did you suspend the laws of sowing and reaping? I mean, it made no But I've heard people I highly regard teach that strongly, that if you want increase, you have to give up. When you give to the poor, you're giving down. And I would think, Lord, that just... So one night, in fact, I was at Agape Faith. I was going to minister at Agape Faith in Clemens the next day. And I was so concerned about ethically presenting the word. And I felt like I didn't even have a right to present what I was doing or ask anyone to partner with me. And I said, Lord, how? what do you have to say about giving upward and giving downward? How do you feel about this? And he spoke to me just like that and said, all my giving is downward. So I saw if I do give downward, I'm just like God when I do it. I'm doing what God does. In other words, that is the wrong perspective on giving. We give according to the word of God. And God's told us to visit and look after. If we don't do anything else, do this one thing. Visit and look after widows and orphans. But what I did after that, that that just broke that. Uh, wrong teaching just broke its power over it was trying to push me down and feel like the work was inferior somehow I looked up every word in this scripture and when I got to the word repay the Lord will repay you I looked it up in the original Hebrew and it's the word shalem S-H-A-L-E-M. Have you ever heard of the word shalom? What does it mean? Peace, wholeness, well-being, soundness. It means prosperity. Shalom is the noun. Shalem is the verb. What the Lord is saying When you give to the poor, I will repay you. I will take action to make you whole. When you give to make another person's life whole, an orphan's life whole, an orphan's life is so broken. But can any of us say we don't have any need or brokenness in our own life? Can any of us say that? No, we have needs, don't we? 
We have areas that we need for the Lord to work in our own soul, in our own lives. When you give to the poor, when you give to orphans and vulnerable children, the Lord shalems you. He works in the broken areas of your own life. In other words, do you know what the Lord whispered to me? This is actually a prosperity scripture and a prosperity principle. Father, in the name of Jesus, Pastor Scott has already told me he's partnering with what we're doing. And on behalf of that seed and other willing hearts in this congregation, I ask you to shalem your people. I release faith in you to perform acts of mercy, acts of healing, acts of restoration, acts of deliverance, acts of prosperity, acts of well-being and wholeness, soundness in the lives of your people. Bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message on Our Reasonable Service. If you would like to hear more about Faith Life Fellowship and access more teachings, you can visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington. <laughs>